The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss doing more with less time and resources. Joining us is Liam Martin, who is the co-founder at TimeDoctor, Staff.com, and Running Remote, which are all businesses focused on helping marketers and entrepreneurs work more efficiently with more independence. And today, Liam and I are going to talk a little bit about some of the changes that are happening in the workforce and why the future of your marketing team may be building a remote team. Okay. Here's my conversation with Liam Martin, co-founder at TimeDoctor, Staff.com, and Running Remote. Liam, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. I'm excited to talk a little bit about remote teams. It's something that's the backbone of the business we're building here at the MarTech Podcast and my larger company, Ben J. Shap LLC. We hire people from all around the world to help with micro tasks and content production, editing, a whole bunch. Seems like you're the master of the subject Let's start off. Can you tell us a little bit about you and a little bit about your three businesses? Sure. So first off, human being located on planet Earth. More specifically, I'm currently located in the Canadian part of planet Earth. However, I do travel quite a bit. I travel about six months out of the year. I think I've been in 17 different countries. I am just about to leave for Cairo tomorrow, as we were talking about before I jumped on this podcast with you. And the reason why I can do that is we have about 100 remote employees located in 32 countries around the world. So we are what are called a remote first company. And the counterpoint to that are what we like to call on-premise companies. So remote first companies are people that hire remote first. Doesn't mean that we're necessarily against hiring inside of an office, but we do believe that it is a more efficient way to be able to build a business. And our three products, Time Doctor and Staff.com, are specifically time tracking tools to be able to manage remote work. And then also our conference, which is runningremote.com, is where you learn how to actually build and scale remote teams. So talk to me a little bit about the type of remote teams that marketing departments are building. I mentioned that, you know, we have editors, content production, right? I run a content-centric business. Imagining that remote teams are used for all sorts of marketing activities, where have you seen marketers be successful using remote workers and employees the most successfully? I think the closer you get to synchronous communication, the more difficult it becomes. 
So in essence, sales departments are probably the most difficult department to be able to bring remote. As you become more asynchronous, which is just basically the ability to be able to have people build information or build content without necessarily interacting at the same time, things get a lot easier. So with regards to our content team, we have about two dozen people on the content team and that thing's been very easy to scale. Whereas our sales department, we've spent, I probably said we've done about $5 million worth of mistakes over the last couple of years building that team just because we didn't understand the synchronous capacity of how that team should be able to function and the difficulties that a remote first model has with building a sales team that is really connected to like basically learning from each other in a very intimate setting. That's interesting. I understand why content marketing is something that can be pushed remote, right? Somebody writes the article, somebody edits it, they hand it back. Maybe we have to go through multiple forms of content. In my case, we have audio that gets edited and then that gets hand to transcriptionists and then we create blog posts and social media content out of that. And there's people that's working on the publishing and the coordination of all of that. With sales, you're saying that that's a synchronous activity. Why do you think that sales teams need more real-time communication and basically need to be put in the same room to be successful as opposed to content marketing is something that can be done asynchronously? So we actually have a major debate going on in remote first companies, which is asynchronous versus synchronous communication. So asynchronous communication basically affords the individual employee more freedom. So as an example, I work from nine to five and I choose to not answer emails at 530. That makes for a much happier employee versus the synchronous model, which is if it's three o'clock in the morning, I want to be able to get in contact with you the servers aren't working, let's figure out how to solve this issue. So there's these two basically like schools of thought that are currently applied to remote work. With regards to sales teams, we've discovered that the details of how someone closes a deal, as an example, is really dependent upon them hearing that information in the background. So the way that we've done it is we've actually built somewhat of a hybrid model. So we have a very small office and we have our VP of sales that brings in salespeople that are new recruits and they work with him very personally for three months. And their goal at the end of that three months is to hit quota. So in both cases, they go home, they either go home with a job or without a job. So they have three months to hit quota. If they can't hit quota within that amount of time, they're sent back to their wherever their location is, whichever their territory that they're covering, and they either have a job or they don't. And we've discovered that that is, at least for us, a really successful model. Previous versions that we've built where everyone has been distributed, we lacked the collaborative component of remote work. And that actually is one of the major barriers towards remote work is lack of collaboration that occurs inside of remote teams. So that seems to be the issue with regards to content in comparison. Someone says, I've assigned the keyword virtual assistance to you. You need to write 5,000 words on virtual assistance. And we're going to put that into our blog and we're going to hopefully rank it. Those are very disconnected tasks and they don't necessarily require the type of collaboration that sales needs in order to succeed. I think that's one of the reasons why traditional or old school businesses are a little hesitant to move towards remote work. I, as a consultant, have worked with a handful of companies who have said, hey, let me go solve this problem for you. You need content. I'm going to go hire a remote content team. 
you need SDRs, let me go outsource that to a place where it's cheaper to go find the leads. You need somebody to do your lead scoring, we can go find talent somewhere else and take advantage of the price break of geography, the efficiencies of geography to be able to do your task faster, more efficiently and cheaper. And there are some businesses who say, no, we want everybody to be in the house. We need to build that institutional knowledge. Talk to me about who you see applying remote work practices successfully, and what are the types of businesses that are still shying away from outsourced employees? One of the things that I want to kind of touch on before we even get into the other side of it is this is not just an employee perk, or this is not just something that some companies do. The data is quite clear. 6.5% of the U.S. workforce works majority remote as of right now, 2019. That number is expected to cross the 50% mark by 2027. There's another study that says it's going to hit the 50% mark by 2025. I don't necessarily believe that one, but I think it's between 2025 and 2027. So we're going to see a fundamental shift to the way that people work. I think once the next economic correction happens and everyone knows it's coming, we just don't know when it's happening. Once it happens, large corporate is going to recognize because the infrastructure, the piping has already been laid for remote work. We're talking on Zoom right now. We have Slack, we have Google Apps, we have all of these tools that help facilitate remote work. Large corporate will try to figure out, well, how do we keep everybody employed, but then also get the same output? And they'll look at remote work because on average, a remote employee is 40% more productive than an on-premise employee, meaning they don't have to commute into work. So they're saving two hours right there. You don't have to pay for another office space. In some cases, you don't have to pay for computer equipment, all this kind of stuff. So when you look at that, I actually think within the next 10 years, people will be asking to get back inside of offices because large corporate will recognize that that's just a more efficient machine. And even if you look closer into this data, people below the age of 26 that have a full-time position, three out of five of them are now working remotely, which is bonkers when you think about it. It's just sort of like there's this massive wave of people, the young people, that are only working remote. In San Francisco, people that have gotten new positions out of San Francisco, 80% of new developers that have gotten new positions in 2019, and this is Andreas Klinger who gave me this data that was connected to Zapier data, 80% of them are working remotely. It's just like crazy numbers that are starting to hit. It's clearly a trend and people are working outside of the office and they have a little bit more autonomy. They have a little bit more flexibility. They're a little bit more comfortable. So they're able to focus more on the work. That's sort of the logic. Also, there's less overhead for the company when they don't have to house people all in the same place. Mm -hmm. I think that there is another component to this, which is there is remote work. And then there's also independent contracting. It's a decision that I made in my career roughly four years ago saying, I don't want to go be a W-2 employee. I'm going to run my own business and work for multiple companies. Are you seeing that as a trend increasing as well? Well, I couldn't give you the data on that. I definitely see it as a trend from a qualitative perspective, but unfortunately, I'm inside of a bubble of entrepreneurship. I could say, yes, of course, I've started to see this happening, and I'm definitely seeing an increase in comparison to five years ago. But most of my tribe are entrepreneurs. So that feels a little disingenuous to be able to say that that's happening. What I can really tell you is you're definitely seeing more contractors. And you're also seeing more contractors internationally. And that actually just kind of boils down to the realities of running a remote first company. 
we have employees in 32 different countries. We have subsidiaries in significantly less than 32 countries. Are we going to set up 32 subsidiaries for our technology company? Absolutely not. I don't know if you've done any kind of like M&A work in the past, but doing due diligence on 32 different subsidiaries is probably going to be absolutely insane. So we don't do those types of things. The infrastructure right now really leads itself to contract work. And that's probably the model that I see expanding and the full-time employee placements declining over the next five to 10 years. So we mentioned before that people are using content teams. It's a little harder to do synchronous activities like sales. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Talk to me about performance marketing. Are you seeing contractors that are specialists that are coming in and working for brands remotely and taking on multiple relationships? How is this affecting the agency model? Oh, massive. So Time Doctor, which is our time tracking tool, agencies actually are our top customer avatar. So we found a huge expansion in agency work, remote agency work, and it's because it's such an easy model to deploy. When your team can basically arise from the ether, right? It can basically be anywhere. I'll give you an example. We have four people in Lagos in Nigeria. Lagos is one of the largest cities in Africa. Nigeria is where you probably got a email or two from some Nigerian prince that said, hey, give me $5,000 and I can move $5 million out of... I'm still waiting for my $5 million. Right. So... Those guys are some of the best email outreach people on planet Earth. But then Google basically shut down their entire party. And we now hire them because they are the best people for outbound email outreach. They are our BDRs now. They're the ones that are setting up all of our research for our email introductions to our AEs. Why? Because they're the best people on planet Earth. They're the most efficient person per dollar. So I actually like to kind of look at it as not who the cheapest person is, but who's the most productive person per dollar. 
And in terms of email outreach, Lagos can't be beat. They're absolutely amazing. If you actually look at their culture, it's very interesting, like Nigerian kind of email spammer culture. They have like voodoo dolls that they like pray to in order to be able to get these deals and all this kind of stuff. It's very interesting culture when you kind of boil down into it. But we ended up hiring one person and then we hired three more about six to eight months later because they were just so effective at their job. So those guys blow the socks off of any other cold email person I've ever met at any price point. So talk to me about some of the other geographical hotspots that are specific to marketing activities. And I'll preface this with, I've found that the language skills in the Philippines for things that are, you know, customer service and copywriting tend to be great. Eastern Europe has a center of excellence for engineering. India also has, you know, a lot of engineers that are available when you're looking for regular sort of administrative work and you need something to be done at scale but cheaply, you can go to the Middle East. Talk to me about some of the other places where you've found pockets of excellence and expertise. So I'd say front office activities, meaning anything that's like customer facing, you interact with the customer. Philippines is probably your best bet. If you're approaching the US market, the English speaking market, you're absolutely right. Most of Eastern Europe is fantastic for development. That's where most of our developers are currently located. I would also look at middle America. So the Midwest is a really cost effective option in comparison to San Francisco or New York. In San Francisco, you're going to get a good developer for 200,000. You can probably get what's close to the same quality of developer in the Midwest for about 60,000. And a lot of people actually make that active decision not to be located in the valley because they are saying to themselves, well, I would rather make 60000 have a much higher quality of life, put more money away than live in San Francisco at 200000 put less money away in my pocket after everything is all said and done and have a less enjoyable lifestyle. One of the other things that we've actually done is our director of support is located in Mauritius which is a small island country off the coast of Africa. And the reason why we hired him from Mauritius is number one, he's good at his job, but number two, he is directly in between our two shifts for support. So we have a night shift that is doing APAC, and then we have a day shift that's in North America. And then he's able to have meetings in the morning with one group and in the afternoon with another group. I mean, outside of that, South America is another place where we hire a bunch of reps, particularly salespeople, most of our salespeople are located in the United States, and we have one person that speaks Portuguese and another person that speaks Spanish, and I can't remember which countries they're from in South America, but we basically just hire wherever the talent is. So it really kind of depends. Lagos is one of those ones that really surprised us because we didn't think that those spammers were actually good at their jobs, but they're the SEAL Team 6 of email spammers. They're absolutely amazing. And they've been able to get into inboxes that I just thought were impossible. Clearly, they're very talented. And mostly if everybody that's listening to this podcast is nodding their head saying, yes, I've received an email from a Nigerian prince. I think that there's a lot to think about when it comes to building remote teams. What advice do you have for businesses that are starting to think about branching out to being remote? Two major factors for remote teams that a lot of people don't do at the beginning, which produces a lot of problems down the road, is number one, understanding your cultural breakdown. So how do you interact with everyone? How do you continue to disseminate information inside of a remote organization? These are all really important factors. 
I generally have a hierarchy of communication, which is in-person is better than video, video is better than audio, audio is better than instant messaging, and instant messaging is better than email. You want to move up the chain because that allows you to be more focused. As an example, right now, we are chatting on a Zoom call. I see your face, you see my face, and we're able to actually communicate all of the nonverbal components of the way that we're having this conversation. So if I asked you a question, or if I told you to do something and you didn't necessarily want to do it, you might show it on your face. But if I was doing an audio call, I might not see that. And then you would just say, oh, yeah, okay, but I wouldn't be able to see you wince when you respond. So that's one major factor. The second issue that I see with remote teams time in, time out is not understanding all of your processes. So not being able to take all of your things that you do in your company. I talk about removing all sacred knowledge from an organization. So no one single individual should know a piece of information that shouldn't be shared with at least a second individual. That means taking all that documentation, putting it into one place, understanding how the company works with that documentation writing it down, digitizing it, and then making it shareable throughout your entire organization. If you can do that, it's one of the biggest game changers with regards to your business. Most large businesses actually already do this. If you walk into any Fortune 500 company, I could guarantee you there's a process on how to set up your email signature, as an example. But most small businesses don't do that because it's too time-consuming or it's not something that they think is necessarily ROI positive immediately. It absolutely is. However, it's very boring. <laughs> so if you want to just start, I would suggest you Google GitLab Handbook. So my friend Dimitri, he runs a team of 1,000 plus remote employees. He runs a company called GitLab. And he has a 3,200 page open source process document on everything connected to how to run GitLab. So if you want to know how they run a demo for their GitLab software, if you want to know what type of shares you're going to get when you join the company, if you want to know how you should communicate during team retreats, those types of things, it's all in there. And the beauty of it is it's open source. So since it's a Git repository, you can simply just fork it and you can create your own version of their document and then edit it for your own purposes. Interesting. I think that the thing that resonates the most with me is understanding your culture, documenting your processes and finding somebody who's a specialist to be able to do that. And that's one of the things we've done here at the MarTech podcast and for our other podcasts that have helped us to grow. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech podcast. Thanks to Liam Martin, the co-founder of TimeDoctorStaff.com and Running Remote for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Liam and I are going to discuss how you can build a remote content team. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Liam, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can find his YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash running remote, or you can visit his websites, which are staff.com, timedoctor.com, or runningremote.com. Just one link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening, head over to our new website, martechpod.com, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D. We have summaries of all of our episodes, the contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our once a week newsletter that recaps all of the content we publish. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. 
Of course, you can also reach out on social media. My handle is BenJShap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Liam Martin, the co-founder of Time Doctor, Staff.com, and Running Remote, we're going to publish an episode every day during the week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and check back with us tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.